Hello, everybody, and welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Earth Though podcast. You are tuned into our OITE review series. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwan are doing this OITE review series. And you are actually now tuned into the last of our trauma OITE review series. So if you have been listening the whole time, give yourself a pat on the back. You are uh, so close to the end. And if you have been listening to this whole time, we would love to know what you liked about this OIT review series. If you liked it, things you think we should improve on, change, um, we are completely open to any type of feedback. And you can just email us at nailedortho at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at nailedortho. And if you don't have anything to say there, please go and leave us a review and um, a rating in iTunes or however you listen to this and let us know um, that you that you liked it after we have now finished this review series. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. All right. Well, I think we're kind of done with tibia shafts. I think let's move on to uh, the tibia plafonds. Yeah, let's do it. Um, what What is the uh, kind of pathophysiology of tibial plafond fractures? Yeah, so, you know, these tibial plafond, if you, if you read it, it's kind of, you know, the talus is is driven into that distal tibial articular surface uh, under after a high axial load. So you kind of have an axial load, which causes these plafond fractures. And, and quick uh, and quick quick lesson or quick quick side note is that plafond, the meaning of plafond actually means a ceiling, which is what, you know, they thought is kind of like the ceiling of the ankle. And you also hear pilon, uh, which is uh, actually, I think, a, a term that was uh, derived from the French language, meaning a pestle, uh, kind of resembling that pharmacist pestle. Uh, they thought that kind of looked to how the dibial, distal tibia looked. So uh, plafond is kind of the ceiling in the French English and Pilon is kind of that pestle, that, that pharmacist pestle. So in case you get asked about that, that's just another neat fact to know. I Severely, I highly doubt that that will be asked in any way, sense, or form, but it's good to know. Um, but anyways, yeah, so it's due to that kind of that axial load, the talus is just driven into that uh, articular surface. And when we're evaluating these x-rays and we're evaluating, you know, these different pilon fractures, uh, you know, you can get a lot of information by looking at the fibula in a, you know, the fibula fracture, if there is one in these pilon fractures and, and, and what kind of information can you get from assessing the fibula in these pilon fractures? Uh, yeah, so you can get the uh, kind of mechanism uh, of the, uh, injury really, um, if there's kind of a compression failure of the fibula, then, uh, if you think about it, if the, uh, if there's a valgus force, meaning the kind of foot and, uh, talus are kind of causing an axial load, but valgus load into the distal tibia and into the fibula, you're going to get a compression failure of the fibula. If there's a tension failure, of the fibula, then you know it was more of a varus sort of force that went through the uh, talus and into the medial distal tibia. And then if the fibula is intact, then you get more of a just true axial load where um, although the uh, the uh, 
ligaments might be disrupted, uh, like the calcaneofibular and the uh, anterior talofibular ligaments are disrupted, uh, the fibula will overall remain intact if the uh, talus just goes directly superior into the uh, distal tibia. And you're going to really see a lot more smaller fragments with intraarticular uh, comminution, which leads to a poor prognosis, unfortunately. Um, but as the uh, uh, talus impacts into the distal tibia, what are the three kind of classic fragments that you uh, see from that? Yeah, and a very good. Another good pimp question. I remember being asked this when I was a, a rotating medical student, and even as a as an intern. But yeah, these three typical fragments of the distal tibia is one is going to be our shaput fragment. Um, some people call it the shaput to low fragment as well. That's going to be right where our um, anterior inferior tibio fibula uh, tib fib ligament attaches. The AITFL. Uh, that's going to attach, and that's going to when that breaks off or that it pulls off that piece, that's kind of our shaput fragment. And the PITFL, or the posterior inferior uh, uh, tip fib ligament, is going to be that Volkman's fragment. Uh, and so then when that's fractured off, that's that Volkman fragment that we're talking about. And then immediately it's going to be the deltoid. Now, the way I just thought about it and remembered it is that alphabetically anterior is C and then posterior is V, which is later on in the alphabet. That's just how I thought about it. I'm sure there are other uh, uh, nice ways to think about it, but just remember that Shaput or Shaput Tolo, Tolo fragment, it's going to be AITFL. Uh, the Falkman fragment is going to be PITFL. Immediately, it's going to be the deltoid. And we always talk about, you know, there's uh, there are always associated injuries or there can be associated injuries, I'm sorry, with these, uh, with these pilon or plafond or distal tibia fractures. Uh, what are some of the other associated injuries with these fractures? Um, yeah, so, I mean, we just uh, went over the fibula. Uh, so about 70 to 75% have fibula fractures. Uh, around 30% have some sort of other ipsilateral lower extremity injury, whether that's anywhere from uh, a foot, a calcaneus, uh, all the way up to uh, I mean, you want to look at the knee, you want to look for if this, uh, the energy from this fracture led to a tibial plateau or distal femur fracture up to a femoral neck fracture, uh, some sort of pelvis or pelvic ring injury, just because of how high energy uh, these fractures typically are, you want to evaluate the entire lower extremity. Around 20% of them are open and up to 10% can even be bilateral. Uh, pilons, which <laughs> I would not want ever Ooh, in my life. Yeah, that that is a rough, uh, rough life, rough injury. I know. Uh, I think we'll probably talk about it a little bit later. But they say uh, some studies that say having pilon fractures can be worse than having AIDS, which is which sucks. So, um, yeah. it, it's it's not not a good thing. Yeah, and uh, similar to uh, the. Uh, Proximal tibia or the tibial plateau, you have the Schatzker, you have the hole and more, and you have the AO classification. You have a classification for uh, pilon fractures, which is fairly simple, not really descriptive, but uh, there is one out there that you should be aware of. And uh, uh, which one is that? Yeah, it's going to be the Rudy Algoer uh, classification. They they did a lot of this uh 
this work on, you know, these this early work on pilon fractures. And if you actually go back and read their original article, it's actually pretty interesting and, and always a, a good read just to, you know, for some historical um, background as to kind of where some of these things came from. But just kind of going a little bit into what their classification is, you have type one, which is a simple articular, in, simple intraarticular fracture that is not displaced. Our type two is going to be our simple intraarticular that is displaced or the joint is incongruous, so there may be a step off. And then um, type three, this is no longer simple articular. These are going to be our comminuted displaced uh, fractures with an incongruous joint. So it goes from simple line, not displaced to highly comminuted and displaced, obviously. Uh, you know, type threes are having going to have a little bit worse outcomes than our type ones. Uh, but before we get into all that, when you know, when this rolls into the ED and your uh, your your intern um, calls and says, "Hey, they just called about a a, a tibia uh, a pilon fracture. Uh, we have a pilon fracture down in the ED, and and they're going to go down and evaluate it. What are some of the things that they should be on the lookout for?" Um. Yep. So uh, like we just talked about, 20% of them are open. So you want to look for open wounds. And and this is really, you want to circumferentially evaluate the entire ankle, not just look at it from one perspective and, and be too afraid of moving the patient's ankle because it causes them pain. You really need to rule out any open injury. Um, you want to either palpate the pulses versus a Doppler. I like the Doppler because it's, to me, it's just easier uh, to use. Um, the, uh, one thing you want to look out for is these fracture fragments, they can get displaced and impinge on the neurovasculature, mostly over the posterior medial, uh, ankle. So the kind of posterior tibial, uh, nerve and, uh, artery in that area, um, can impinge. And so, uh, pulling some traction and reducing that fracture, uh, can help relieve some of that pressure. And then get a good neuro exam, um, really checking for sensation in all of the uh, areas of the foot and making sure that they're still able to um, activate, uh, whether it's tibias anterior and EHL and their uh, flexors as well. And then lastly, because of the high energy mechanism, um, it's not extremely common, but you want to make sure that there is no compartment syndrome developing. Uh, and also you want to make sure that there's no foot compartment syndrome developing. I know that this is an ankle injury, but a lot of the force is going through the foot and it can be hidden at times. Um, yeah. And one thing I just want so, to quickly mention yeah. that, that I don't think uh, that I forgot to mention earlier, but I think a, a, a common uh, test question or a thing that they say a lot is a person that's most common to, uh, get compartment syndrome and our tibia shaft fracture are going to be our males at around like 30 years old. So that's just a quick, quick tidbit since we're talking about compartment syndrome. I think I forgot to mention a little earlier. Perfect. I think males is more common for compartment syndrome of all areas of the body because we're the ones that do the stupid stuff out there when, <laughs> yeah. when we're, when we're younger, before we mature into young physicians, we're the ones that are still <laughs> driving fast and taking chances. So yes, we are. um but uh moving along um so we've evaluated the patient they uh thankfully they don't have any open wounds they don't have any ipsilateral uh injuries that are masking the their symptoms they really have this isolated 
uh, pilon, what's the uh, typical treatment algorithm for these patients? Yeah, so typically for these patients, they are going to be treated in a staged uh, manner. Just like we said, these pilon fractures can have a, a high uh, uh, energy mechanism, which can give you a lot of soft tissue, uh, soft tissue damage. You know, you may have an evolving soft tissue injury. That's why you look out for things like flexure blisters and and, uh, and, the, and the look of the skins, it's shiny, the compartments, uh, uh, soft and compressible, but you pretty much want to give, you want to put a, uh, an ankle span and external fixator on. And a lot of times there's like many different orientations. Some people use a delta frame. Some people use a delta frame plus a metatarsal pin to help prevent against ankle uh, equinus. Um, but anyways, nonetheless, it's typically stage treatment. So initially you have an external fixation, um, allow for the soft tissues to uh, heal and the swelling to go down to where you see things like epi epithelialization of the skin and you see wrinkling on the skin. And then later on you uh, fix, you know, definitively with open reduction and tunnel fixation. And there's a lot of debate about whether or not you should fix the fibular fracture uh, acutely versus, uh, versus doing it in a staged fashion. Um, I think there's still controversy on this, but I think at least one thing that a lot of people uh, agree on is that if you're not the definitive surgeon that will be fixing the pilon fracture, that you should not be doing the uh, fibula fixation uh, in itself if you're not going to be the one that's definitively fixing it. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's what we see a lot of, unfortunately, just because we're the tertiary referral center for uh several hundred miles in either direction of us. We have a, I mean, we have a lot of community hospitals and um, these will get referred back to us. And I, it's kind of hit or miss, but about 30% of them show up with the fibula fixed. And it's unfortunate because we'll kind of go into the approaches that you need in order to fix these plafond fractures, but it can, it can hurt you if uh, the fibula is fixed, but you need to use an incision in that area, but not directly where they used it. Right. And, and on that note, what are some of the uh, approaches that are commonly used to access the distal tibia? Um, the, the one part that I, uh, do like about the testing nature of, uh, some of the more complicated orthopedic problems like tibial plafond fractures, acetabular fractures, um, some of the sarcoma reconstructions is that they, because there's so many different ways that people treat them and there hasn't been one way that's been proven to be more or less beneficial, um, they usually won't uh, test you on specifics of how to fix something complicated like a pilon fracture, uh, meaning like they're not going to say, are you going to use an anterolateral approach or a anteromedial approach for this? Um, but they're still important to go over. So um, although these may not be the most highly uh, tested or, or most commonly tested things, um, it's still good to know what sort of approaches to use. So uh, first to start off is you have the direct anterior approach, um, which is, as, as you uh, know, it's directly over the, uh, the anterior portion of the distal tibia. Uh, I would say the most common approach is 
uh, anterolateral. lateral. It's the one that I use most widely and the, my bosses use most widely uh, just because of the access that you can have to the joint. Um, but you do have to be careful of the superficial peroneal nerve with the uh, superficial dissection as well as the deep peroneal nerve with the deep dissection. So it does put both of those nerves at risk uh, with that approach. But a lot of it is really just how you think about the, the pilon and the, the portion of the pilon that you want to fix in various ways. So uh, as you just kind of make your circle around the entire ankle in a clockwise fashion, you can go kind of anteromedial, you can go direct medial, you can go posterior medial, but obviously you have to be cognizant of the uh, neurovascular structures and the uh, uh, tendons in that area. Uh, then you can go posterior lateral. Um, if there's a posterior uh, distal, like if you have that Volkman fragment that you need to uh, fix back to the tibia metaphysis or the shaft, uh, but also fix the fibula, you can do that through a single approach posterior lateral. And also there's a, a direct lateral approach to the distal tibia, which um, to me is kind of silly, uh, but it's Sometimes it's used through the fibula. If there's a fracture in the fibula, you displace that fragment and you can gain access to the tibia through this kind of uh, syndesmosis. Um, but I don't think that that is really used extremely uh, commonly, but I could be yeah. wrong. I just haven't never used it myself. Yeah, but, I haven't um, seen that either. But yeah, it's... It, it's described and it can be used, but um, I would say that if you are going to be comfortable with any approach to the distal tibia or any approaches um, and you are kind of preparing for your cases uh, as you're listening to this or you got some cases coming up uh, uh, next week is uh, anterolateral, posterior medial and posterior lateral, I think are, at least for me, those are the ones that are commonly used, but also the ones that kind of take a little bit more thought, um, in, in kind of doing the dissection and making sure you're, uh, cognizant of the neurovascular structures that are in danger in those areas. And to, to be good at those three, then the rest of the approaches to the ankle should be a piece of cake. Yeah. And that, and that anterior lateral, that's where you're, um, that's where you're using that interval between your extensors and your perennials. Uh, that posterior yep. lateral, if you kind of just going around the circle of the of the of the ankle, you're using that um, that interval between your perennials uh, and your FHL, and then posterior medial, kind of dissecting out um, that. You know, I mean, the 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 you you're setting out the neurovascular structure, but you know, you have your FHL, you have your Achilles, um, and then you also have your your neurovascular structures. Your Tom uh, Tom Dick and Nervous Harry. So you know, that's the posterior tibialis tendon um you have your uh you have your artery in your nerve and, and then your fhl back there so that's kind of the way or the mnemonic to remember those those uh those structures around that medial side yep. of that ankle and, and and um and just i guess moving forward um so say for example you know we have some um open you know open pilon fracture with you know large metaphyseal bone loss uh, what are what are some ways to kind of manage these when they when they come into the ED and what are some things we should be thinking about? Um, well, 
the the bone losses i mean obviously the articular surface is a, a big concern so you want to make sure that you're managing that well but uh the articular surface is useless unless you're able to attach it to the shaft in a uh, uh, reasonable way so uh with metaphyseal bone loss i mean depending on the amount that you have lost either via an open wound or just metaphyseal impaction from the axial nature of the injury. Um, you want to definitely stabilize what you can stabilize at the articular surface, but a knee or an ankle spanning X fix to help hold all of these soft tissue structures out to length um, while you're able to do any sort of soft tissue reconstruction or uh, uh, bone loss work, whether that's in the form of a kind of a masculine technique where you're uh, placing antibiotic beads or a cement spacer. And then you come back about six to eight weeks later, incise the membrane, uh, keep the membrane in place because that's what is going to help keep all of those uh, inflammatory and healing factors in there and replacing that cement spacer with either a tricortical iliac crest bone graft or some other sort of bone graft uh, to help manage that bone loss. So uh, it's a lot of just kind of keeping the principles of orthopedics uh, in the back of your mind while you're treating each patient uh, independently uh, compared to the next one. So uh, the Pilon, like we were talking about before, is a kind of a horrible injury to have. But what's the most common complication that you're going to see uh, with these sort of injuries? And again, just like you were talking about a little bit earlier, um, you know, all these articular injuries, they all have a, a you're always thinking about post-traumatic arthritis. That is going to be uh, a, a big, the uh, uh, most common um, complication seen after these pilon fractures occur. And um, I know we'll talk a little bit here very, very shortly, actually, about um, clinical outcomes. We, we also do know patient socioeconomic factors are predictors of, of how well they'll do. But uh, post-traumatic arthritis is going to be uh, the most common complication seen in these patients that have these pilon fractures. And since we're on post-traumatic arthritis, one of the basic science questions that they like to ask a lot or would like us to know about are the cytokines. So what cytokines are increased in post-traumatic arthritis? I think the most commonly tested one is IL-6. Um, and uh, like we know from basic science, IL-1 and IL-6, I think are the two primary kind of inflammatory cytokines that are elevated in any sort of inflammatory condition, whether it's uh, septic arthritis, abscess, uh, sepsis, whatever. Um, but I, I think the thing you're going to get tested on the most is either IL-6 or an elevation of matrix metalloproteinases. And for completeness sake, it's matrix metalloproteinases 1, 2, 3, 8, and 10 are the most commonly increased ones in post-traumatic arthritis. Um, you can also see an elevation of IL-8. Um, and the uh, key things with those is it, their, their function in post-traumatic arthritis has not necessarily been uh, hashed out or realized. It's, it's just one of those kind of speculations that 
because IL-6 and matrix methylproteinases 1, 2, and 3 are elevated in all post-traumatic arthritis, whether that's the ankle, the knee, the hip, shoulder, whatever, um, and we see a lot of chondrocyte apoptosis, we see cartilage loss, and the inflammatory nature of these cytokines probably leads to that destruction. And if there's some way, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking about it like this, if there's some way to kind of fix these fractures, but also inject the, I don't know, an antibody to IL-6 or to the matrix methylproteinases to help kind of sequester them out of the joint that that may be beneficial in preventing post-traumatic arthritis. But since we don't know their exact function, who knows if they are truly the reason for it or if it's just uh, uh, kind of a something that people have found. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, um, uh, kind of uh, similar to what we had talked about before, what are some of the predictors of of poor outcomes and pilon fractures, but also kind of same thing can be said for all fractures, whether it's calcaneus, tibial plateau, hip fractures, whatever. What what sort of what are some of these predictors? Yeah, so you know, predictors of poor outcomes and pilon fractures. One, you know, workers' compensation. Uh, again, I think that's literally across the board. You know, patients that have rotator cuff injuries that are workers' comp tend to have poor outcomes in the rest. So, uh, workers' compensation. <laughs> yeah, 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 a little back pain as well. Um, males, um, patients that have a lower socioeconomic status, um, patients with increased medical comorbidities. So, you know, you know, people that have that are on like 30 different medications for, for all 18 of their different medical uh, problems, um, those tend to have poor outcomes. And of course, you know, the is initial severity and the quality of reduction. So if you have a, a patient that had a very severe, um, highly comminuted, um, complete articular injury with a, a not great quality of reduction will have a, a, a typically have a worse outcome that somebody had a partial articular non-displaced uh, rudialgo or type one um, fracture of the of the pilon uh, they they may do better than the patient that had that type three fracture and studies found um, that patients with pilon fractures score lower on the short form 36 so the sf36 uh, questionnaires on the quality of life than patients that have AIDS, pelvic fractures, and coronary artery disease. So, you know, these are serious, uh, severe, uh, life-changing injuries. And that's, um, that's something to counsel, again, counsel patients on, uh, especially when you see these, you got to let them know, like, your, your ankle's never going to be the same, you know, um, your quality of life may be a little bit different. We, you know, we try to uh, fix you to the best that we can and, and give you the best outcome that we can, but you have to be frank and let them know, you know, that you have a high rate of, of having, you know, bad arthritis of your ankle. Um, you know, you have a high rate of having prolonged ankle pain. Uh, and, you know, you just have to let these patients know the severity of his, of the injury. And, you know, just again, uh, these forms or the, these surveys that show the quality of life of patients that have these bad pilon fractures are, or worse than people that have pelvic fractures, CAD, and AIDS. So that kind of just shows you how severe and how uh, life-changing or debilitating that these injuries can be. And um, mm -hmm. so what what are some treatment options for, you know, we kind of talk about a little, a little bit about outcomes. Now let's talk a little, a little bit about some other complications as well. We can talk about malunions. Uh, but what are some treatment options for patients that have these extra articular 
various malunions um, after being, you know, open reduction, internal fixation of their pilon fractures. Yeah, the, I mean, various malunion is uh, obviously an uh, outcome that none of us want to deal with, but doesn't necessarily have to be something that we have to keep in these patients. We can uh, really looking at the entire. So what I would start off with is getting a, even something like a, a leg alignment, uh, like a bilateral lower extremity uh x-rays or scanogram just to see the entire uh, alignment in the uh, AP uh, direction, uh, just to see exactly where uh, this deformity is coming from and how much to correct. But uh, you're going to do an osteotomy and then revision fixation. So uh, taking out the screws that you need to take out from the initial surgery and, and kind of refixing it so that you're uh, no longer in uh, varus and, and more in anatomic alignment. Um, and then uh, we just got done talking about a lot of post-traumatic arthritis. And let's say the inflammatory cytokines, IL-6, IL-1, and the matrix metalloproteinases have kind of destroyed the articular cartilage. What are some of the treatment algorithms uh, for the treatment of a, a post-traumatic arthritis? Yeah, so, you know, these things, now you're starting to look at um, kind of these salvage procedures, these end-stage procedures, such as ankle arthrodesis, as well as, uh, you know, total ankle arthroplasty. Um, they may need to get converted to total ankles. So these are all ways um, to, or options, I could say, for patients with very bad post-traumatic arthritis. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the pros and cons to arthrodesis versus uh, arthroplasty and some of the uh, intricate things that go into both of these in our foot and ankle review. Uh, but I think that that pretty much resolves it for our, um, for our trauma review. Uh, you know, we'll cover, we'll cover, you know, some of the non-union work and infectious work. I think we'll do that in our, in our basic sciences section, but, um, you know, of course we'll, we'll cover the foot trauma in the foot and ankle section. And then some of that hand and wrist trauma in the hand and wrist section of our uh, review. But uh, uh, Spencer, I think this one, I think it's overall, I think this went pretty well as far as our trauma view. I know I learned a lot just from yeah. me talking to you and hearing you explain things. So, um, oh, know, yeah, likewise. I, I mean, I, I just, uh, I like doing all this stuff. I, I think it's beneficial, one for us, just kind of putting it all together, but also to everybody else listening and doing questions and doing all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm glad to be done with trauma, though. <laughs> that was yeah, i think what came out to like four hours or five hours worth of stuff yeah came out to a good amount i mean i think the the tests are majority of trauma if i if i'm not mistaken yeah. the kind of breakdown so this is this will be our longest review um for uh for a section so our, our other reviews should be shorter in time but you know i'm glad we took the time and went through, you know, the intricacies of trauma, you know, all the way from sternoclavicular dislocations to proximal humerus to pelvis and talked some acetabulum stuff. And now we're talking oh, yeah. about pilons. So I think we, I think we covered the most of it. I'm sure there's some things that we haven't covered. And if anybody's listening that thinks that we said wrong things or, or would like some, you know, further explanations or have some questions, feel free to uh, send an email at nail it ortho at uh, gmail.com. But I think overall, I think we did all right. I think so. It's been great.
Yeah. Without further ado, those listening, thanks for listening. And, uh, and we will see you in our next, uh, in our next review.